1: with his own nicotine pouches.
2: The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live.
3: With one lap to go, Jeff Gordon leads back to two. Final time down the back straightaway. Gordon beginning to pull away. The drive for five is still alive. Jeff Gordon headed for Deckard Flag out of turn four.
4: Would he win again? The answer is yes. He'll win at Martinsville. Jeff Gordon across the line for the 93rd time in his career. Jeff Gordon is going to
5: victory lane. I, I tell you, there's, there's no greater feeling for a race car driver than to pull up to victory lane and have that kind of reaction from the crowd, that reaction from my team, and to have my family come up. This is unbelievable. This is. I, I really I feel like I'm dreaming right now. I'm afraid I'm going to wake up and this is not going to be true.
2: NASCAR Live is brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. From the MRN studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike
6: Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you, wishing you a very Merry Christmas as you celebrate the holiday season. On this week's show, we're going to look back at the best of NASCAR Live from 2023. Coming up on the show, we'll hear from NASCAR Hall of Famers Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart. We're going to revisit the return to the historic North Wilkesboro Speedway. Road course ringers are also back in the spotlight, thanks to Shane Van Gisbergen. And we'll hear drivers attempt to describe the Daytona 500 in one word. Speaking of the Daytona 500, one of the more special interviews we conduct here on the Motor Racing Network is sitting down with the Daytona 500 champion the morning after the race. This year, Alex Hayden got the chance to sit down with Ricky Stenhouse Jr., less than 24 hours after his career defining moment.
0: Joined by the Daytona 500 champion, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. What a ring to that sound. Yes, it's only just been a handful of hours, but have you had a chance to even just sit back and really think about this?
7: Yeah, I have. I, you know, I've definitely enjoyed it and, you know, and celebrated with our team and, you know, went to obviously victory lane the daytona 500 victory lanes unlike any other victory lane and you know had all my friends and family here and you know we hung out at the bus all the crew guys came over uh we went and hung out with them while they were in tech and you know it was a lot of work for those guys but uh they said they would tear it down uh, every week if they had to so uh no i, I mean you know getting back up this morning and, and really kind of taking it all in you know we're normally after a Daytona 500 you don't win you're already at home and uh so waking up coming back to victory lane doing doing media spots and and hits there in victory lane uh, I feel like that's kind of when it really sunk in that hey we uh we accomplished something great. Did you have a sense that good things were
0: on the horizon just basically when you guys unloaded here at Daytona earlier in the week?
7: I felt good about it um I wouldn't say that I felt you know super super confident in it uh on wednesday after qualifying but you know when i started looking at numbers of you know we qualified 34th on on wednesday which was not impressive uh my guys were like hey we we got a lot of work to do there but i started looking at you know last year's race you know we we were in contention we were leading at the end of last year's race and i looked at qualifying i was like guys you know how far off were we in qualifying last year we qualified 24th and we were a second off the 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 leader's time and qualifying and you know this year we were seven and a half tenths off so i was like hey guys we closed the gap uh, obviously everybody got faster as well but i was like if we close the gap two and a half tenths um you know we still have a shot at winning this cause I felt really good with my race car last year in the draft and, um, and felt like I was able to do what I needed to do with my race car last year. And then, um, you know, in the duels, I felt, felt good. And we made some adjustments for Friday's practice and we went out in the big Chevy group and, and all drafted together. And I told the guys, I'm like, Hey, the car's good. Uh, I like how it's driving. I felt like we put more speed in it than what we had Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, I said, you know, we're good to go. We didn't practice Saturday. Uh, the guys just massaged on it, uh, polished it and, and double-checked everything and and we were able to, to go get the job done with, with what we had and, and I felt really good about it. As the race played out, there were periods of
0: obviously the anticipation, the anxiety, the start of the race. There were periods of riding, whether it's inside lane, outside lane, you're getting moved up and down the leaderboard throughout the race. There are near misses that come along with that. At what point in the race did you say okay we legitimately have a great chance of winning the daytona 500
7: yeah i mean you know the first stage we just we i'm sure nobody even talked about any of us that were in the back we were just kind of riding um you know we started 31st once the green flag flew you know mike kelly's like hey if you can get to the front get to the front uh if if you feel like you can't like we are completely okay with riding and um you know that's not normally my mo but you know, my MO throughout these races at Super Speedways, not just the Daytona 500, is, you know, fill it out and, and, and go with your gut. And so we tried to get to the, you know, up through the field the first, you know, 10 or so laps of, of that race, and, and I didn't see that panning out. So fell to the back and just kind of cruised the first stage. I cruised close enough to the field where I could watch, you know, what the leaders were doing. So I felt like I was kind of going to school and just taking mental notes throughout the whole race. And then start of the, the second stage, we were able to get to the front and um, put ourselves in position to, you know, push, I think the one and the 48, um, our Chevy teammates, we were battling there. Uh, we had a late race re- or a, a uh, like a green, white, checkered little shootout there to end stage two. And I felt like I learned a lot right there, you know, knowing that, hey, this race could you know come down and normally does to a couple restarts couple green white checkers and it did last year and we were leading last year when that happened and uh then we were i think the last caution so um you know i i felt like towards the end of stage two i was like hey we got a car capable of winning uh i just hadn't put ourselves in that position until the end of stage two so once that happened uh, i felt really confident in our race car and you know we we lost our track position a couple times even after the end of stage two, uh, but we were it seemed like our car was handling good enough um, that we were able to especially on the long run um, you know take no tires and still drove good towards the end.
6: Thank you, Alex. Coming up, we'll hear from more drivers as they try to discuss the Daytona 500 in just one word.
1: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back
6: to NASCAR Live. We've already heard from the 2023 Daytona 500 winner in Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He told us just what that race meant to him. But now, let's hear from more of the garage. Before the running of the Great American Race, we had the entire field describe the event using just one word. Tim Cattelfamo is here with the results. I think if I
7: could choose one word to describe
8: the Daytona 500, I'd say... One word for the Daytona 500. Daytona 500, one word. I think the the word I would use is... One word. It is hard to describe anything
9: in just one word, much less something as complex as the Daytona 500. The event that kicks off NASCAR season every year is the sport's biggest race. Winning it, or coming up just short, can help define a driver's legacy. And that's just in terms of the race's meaning. The 500 itself is among the most unique on the schedule, featuring edge of your seat racing, and twists and turns which would envy the best soap opera writers. Despite the difficulty of this task, describing the Daytona 500 in one word is exactly what we asked the best drivers in the sport to do, with the caveat they could explain why they chose the word they did. The responses greatly varied and highlighted the drivers' history in the big event. Kevin Harvick has won the Daytona 500, while Kyle Larson came up just short in 2017. The California drivers focused on the size of the event and how the great American race is nothing, if not big.
8: Big, because it is our biggest race, our biggest moment, and the biggest, biggest part of our NASCAR history lives in Daytona. So there's just, there's really nothing about the Daytona 500 that's not big big like it's a big deal you know the Daytona 500 is the biggest race of the year uh most
7: prestigious race of the year one that everybody wants to win so Yeah, it's just a big deal. For Austin
9: Sindrick and Michael McDowell, the race truly is legacy defining, as it's the lone Cup Series victory for both entering the 2023 season. For Sindrick, his win in 2022 came in the sport's most special race, while McDowell remembers 2021 as epic. For me, it's Daytona 500 is special. There's no
8: race that defines NASCAR more than than the Daytona 500, and obviously to be able to To win that race this early in my career and and have that experience with not only, you know, my team, but my family and to do it on Roger's birthday last year is kind of the icing on the
9: cake. When I think of Daytona 500, I think of America's greatest race. So I think of honestly, epic
0: comes to my mind. It's it's just an epic event. I don't know if it's just the history or just the magnitude or the size, but race day in particular for the Daytona 500 just you can feel it. It's just electric.
9: Other drivers focused on the on-track action, which tends to unfold every February. Because of what superspeedway racing tends to deliver, the Daytona 500 is known to produce its fair share of spectacular crashes. Brad Kozlowski leans into this when he describes the race as chaos, and Christopher Bell goes with downright hectic. Probably my one word for the Daytona 500
4: would be chaos, because it's just a super unpredictable race. Whoever wins it at the end, it
7: rarely ever seems to make a lot of sense, but uh, that's the Daytona 500. Hectic, because there's going to be crashes, there's going to be long green flag runs, there's going to be yellow flags, there's going to be pit stops, and... It is always, always, always
9: hectic. Joey Logano and Chase Briscoe tend to travel down the same path when they chose the most popular word out of our 33 responses, unpredictable.
8: Unpredictable would be the word that comes to my mind just because as soon as you think you know what's going to happen, something happens at the end of the race, right? Like as soon as you think this guy's been dominant, he's been out in the lead a lot, usually nine times out of ten, that guy doesn't finish the race. <laughs> like, it's just like crazy stuff happens. <laughs> probably just unpredictable
9: you know it's unpredictable what's going to happen next it's unpredictable who's going to win uh, there's just a lot of things that can happen in that race that i feel like there's always something that happens that you could have never predicted i mean even go back to like juan pablo hitting the jet dryer who would have ever predicted that right while most drivers focused on a descriptive term the most interesting response we received might have been from eric Almarola. the tampa florida driver chose a word which every daytona 500 spectator is sure to utter while watching the event every year wow Wow, yeah, I think that describes Daytona 500 perfectly. The ambiance, the electricity in the air, 150,000 fans there—it's just—it's just a spectacle, right? It's the Super Bowl of our sport, the Great American Race, and everybody wants to win it and. Everybody wants to be there to watch it, and it's just a a great event. It It definitely has that wow factor. While the best word to describe the Daytona 500 can be debated until the end of time, we know for sure the 65th running of the Great American Race will present the most prestigious, special, epic, and unpredictable 500 miles we'll see all season.
6: Thank you, Tim. Coming up, I'll visit with Jeff Gordon.
1: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley.
6: Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Jeff Gordon is one of the drivers that has so much success that it's hard to zero down what his best racetrack was. One track that has to be on the short list, though, is Pocono Raceway. Heading into this year's race at Pocono, I had the chance to talk with Jeff about his past success at the track and a whole lot more. We're going to have an opportunity to put some speed on display at Pocono this weekend, like we've done in the past at Indy, but obviously with the unique challenges of Pocono, three totally different ends, you are able to master the joint six times. You're a six-time Pocono winner. What's it like for Hendrick going to Pocono, a track that has served Hendrick Motorsports quite well over the years?
5: Yeah, we love that track. You know, it's this this um, kind of combination of horsepower and aerodynamic uh, efficiency as well as driver ability and and we love that and and i think it's something that suited us very very well in the past and and i think it still does so um you know certainly things have changed a little bit with this car and the way you shift uh, even more than you used to um you know still brakes are extremely important and then, uh, you know, finding that I, some things just never change in the sport. I think of going to Martinsville, you know, you, the, the what you need to go fast at Martinsville is still the same as what you kind of need at, at Pocono because it's these three unique different corners and you're never going to get it perfect in all three of them. So, yeah, we're excited about the opportunity and, and you know, I, I think all of our guys really run well at, at Pocono, but I, I, I certainly think this is a great opportunity weekend can. For uh, you know, for the nine uh, of, of Chase Elliott, as well as the 48 of Bowman. I think, I think, you know, I'm excited to see what he and Blake can do uh, this weekend at Pocono.
6: In your heyday, when the car was right, what corner at Pocono would you just eat them up? Be like, all right, boys, I got you right here. When you could get the car the way you wanted it, and when you could make speed, what corner could you really tear them up?
5: Yeah, I mean, I've always said I think the tunnel turn is one of the most fun and, and one of the most <laughs> challenging corners in all of racing because of how, how committed you have to be, how well-balanced a car has to be. And when I say well-balanced, it, it's not that you just go in there and turn the wheel and lay in the throttle and it sticks. When the car is well-balanced, it's turning. And when it's turning, the back end is just right on the edge of stacking, stepping out. And that's also the way that you can make passes because you need a, a more neutral, balanced car when you're behind other cars. So, um, yeah, I always love the tum- tunnel turn. I, I never thought I was great in turn three. Um, you know, flat corners were never my ideal, perfect scenario. I like. I like to go fast, right? I love to pound it into the banking and jump on the on the gas hard, whether that was on a, a high bank dirt track or Winchester uh, in Indiana or or whether it was Bristol or wherever it may be. So, um, you know, to me, that that corner was always a little bit awkward and you just kind of managed through it. But, um, you know, drive deep into turn one, use all the brakes, and, and you got had some nice banking down in turn one, so I like turn one. But, yeah, the tunnel turn to me has is, is always been one of my favorite turns in all of racing.
6: Uh, highpoint.com 400, coming your way Sunday on the Motor Racing Network. Appreciate the time, as always, my friend. We could go on for hours and hours. I now, mean, one day we'll do that, but we got to cut short. we got other business to tend to, but we're always very appreciative of you taking the time for us here on NASCAR Live.
5: No, always a pleasure. Love the show, you know that, and, and and love what you guys do, and 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 love, you know, connecting uh, about what's happening in the sport and our with our fans, and can't wait to get to Pocono, and don't lose faith in Hendrick Motorsports and that nine and that forty-eight. Uh, we got two that are that are performing well and have, have the chemistry, and, and we, we're very, um, you know, um, we, we we know that these other two guys have all the ingredients where, where they need it, and we just got to put it all together. And when we do, it's, it's going like, to look like you flipped your switch. So we'll see how that goes
6: over these next few weeks. Coming up, we'll revisit NASCAR's return to North Wilkesboro Speedway.
1: This is NASCAR live now back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR
6: live NASCAR celebrated the 75th anniversary of the sport this year. And they did so by moving forward as well as honoring the past. The perfect example of both of those was returning to North Wilkesboro Speedway for the first time since 1996 Let's go back to the All-Star Weekend and relive all the festivities from Wilkes County, North Carolina.
0: For the first time in nearly 27 years, the track is open for practice for the NASCAR Cup Series at North Wilkesboro Speedway. And it is a flurry of activity. Drivers scrambling to get out of the garage. Oh, trouble. Daniel Suarez goes up the racetrack. Jeff, did he catch the wall with the back end of the track house Chevrolet? Boy, I
4: don't know, Alex. If he didn't, he sure came close. Well, that didn't take long. Less than one lap complete. And Suarez is back to his Chevrolet, if not
0: into it, close to it. The red and black flags fly. Single lap speeds, Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, Denny Hamlin, Chris Buescher, and Chase Briscoe, the Fast Five. Practice has concluded, and we're getting set for the NASCAR Cup Series pit crew showdown. And there's a huge crowd on hand. We got Joe Gibbs Racing up next. Chris Gale is the crew chief. Ty Gibbs is the driver. This
10: is the Monster Energy car, number 54 emblazoned on the side. Blake Houston is the front tire changer. Michael Hicks, the veteran rear tire changer. Daryl Edwards is the jack man. Jacob Holmes is the tire carrier. And Peyton Moore is the fuel man. And here comes Ty, the NASCAR Xfinity Series reigning champion, the 20-year-old from Charlotte, North Carolina. Crew is around to the right side of the car. Right side work is done, and that looked awful good. Left side work is done now jack is dropped that looked like a good one the reaction of the crew they think they nailed it oh they did postman you
0: nailed it 13 0, 1 2 they go to the top and then there was one it's either going to be ty gibbs or it's going to be ross chastain to be the fastest steve post Here he is, crew around to the right side, and a little
10: hesitant with the right front tire coming off. We'll see now as they go around to the left side of that car. Jack is under the car. Car is up in the air. The car is down. And Ross Chastain, a bobble getting out of the pit box as well. So we'll see how they fared, but Ross Chastain has wrapped up his service.
4: And he does so by coming across the timing line 13th with a 14.373. Ty Gibbs representing Joe Gibbs Racing their crew busting out to stop good enough for first place here in the pit crew challenge. Ty
8: Gibbs, you and your team got it done, won the pit crew challenge, $100,000 bonus. What was it like sitting there as the other teams had to go through and you just
7: kept on holding to that top spot? Yeah, for sure. I just want to give credit to all my guys. Uh, you know, my Jack Manderell, got Jake, Peyton, Mike, uh, Blake. Yeah, all those guys out there they worked real hard. So uh, all credit to them. This is really cool experience uh, starting on the pole here themselves 100 grand so that's all credit to them i appreciate having a great group of guys around me and, and you know be able to see them shine is awesome be a part of this whole deal the gunslinger mike skinner on top of the flag stand
4: north wilkesboro speedway about to go in action for the first time since 1996, and the green is out. Corey Heim on the outside, Carson Hosovar on the inside.
0: Battle for the race lead is on off turn four. And
4: it's over just that quick. You talked about it a moment ago. Kyle Larson by Carson Hosovar, Kyle Larson by Corey Heim. The start
0: of overtime. Kyle Larson inside lane, green flag in the air. Bubba Wallace spins the tires big time on the outside. They're going to jumble up headed to turn one, but it's going to be Larson showing the way.
3: Larson away with the lead. Majeski right there on his back bumper to the inside. Matt Benedetto will take third. Bubba Wallace trying to hang on to the outside. Here comes Hozobar looking low. Boy, further back, they are three wide
4: and wailing on one another. The white flag is in the air. Next flag will end it. Kyle Larson is long
3: gone and looking for the checkered flag. Young Money kissing the field goodbye as he exits turn number two. He has driven away to a 5, 6, 7, 8 truck length advantage. Off turn 4. Checkered flag ready to fly.
0: Kyle Larson set to do it again. Here he is. Rich Keeter puts the checkers in the air. And Kyle Larson wins the Tyson 250 at North Wilkesboro Speedway. There are
4: two spots remaining in the All-Star and a fan vote. The two spots will be filled by the driver winning this event. And the runner-up, 100 laps. And the green flag is in the air and Ty Gibbs is gone. Crossover, McDowell, they're three wide and they're gonna go around. Justin Haley's in the wall, Michael McDowell's in the wall. And the caution flag flies. They all went for the same spot. Dave Moody and two are gonna come up short. Room for one, three tried to go there. It is getting physical for the lead over in turn number four in front of Dave Moody. Michael McDowell held
3: off, held up. Ty Gibbs ran him all over the back straightaway, knocked him high in turn three. Went to Josh Berry now, beating the back bumper off of Barry and trying to hold off Eric
0: Almirola. Off turn number four, checkered flag in the air. The Open is complete. Josh Berry is an all-star in the NASCAR Cup Series. Ty Gibbs is an all-star in the NASCAR Cup Series. They advance to the main event. All we have to do now is wait and find out who won the fan vote. We're back at North Wilkesboro Speedway. The Open is over. The fan vote winner is Noah Gregson, and he's with Steve Post.
10: Noah Gregson, fan vote winner. What is- does that mean to you, young man?
7: Uh, it means the world. It's so awesome. Uh, all the support from the fans. I mean, we see it week in and week out.
0: Daniel Suarez is on the inside of the front row. Chris Buescher flanks him to his right elbow. Field through turns three and four. Fans on their feet. Off turn four, green flag goes in the air. We're officially. off turn two. Turn four.
3: Stenhouse gets clipped by Eric Jones. Around he goes. Keeps it off the inside wall. Straightens it out at the start. Finish line. Stenhouse tried to get back to the bottom. Eric
0: Jones had his foot in the door in turn four. Driver we did not mention in the top five. That's Kyle Larson. Busted for speeding on pit road. Had to start at the back of the field. But Dave, he's working the outside lane and working it well. He
3: is trying to. Ty Gibbs just got rooted up four wide into turn two. Everybody, gets by. Larson got boxed around a little bit, but he has found his way back to the bottom of the racetrack. Side by side for the race
4: lead. The crowd losing their mind off to Dave. It's Kyle Larson. That
3: was way too easy. Larson just drove under Daniel Suarez going into turn one, drove away in turn two. By the time they get to four, he's up by four car lengths.
4: Halfway here in the all-star event. 100 in, 100 to go. And it's Kyle Larson who is dominating right now.
0: Kyle Larson up off of turn number four. A white flag goes in the air. Young money is a lap away from big money.
3: Harvick to the bottom of the racetrack just waves him by. Final pass of the night, and that will be it. Kyle Larson down the back straight away, ready to finish all-star victory all-star winner three of the last five
4: times out take the check to the bank one million dollars kyle larson has won the nascar all-star race at the north wilkesboro speedway
0: in dominating fashion this car was just so good i was so bad uh friday and saturday and um honestly (laughs) i told my buddies i was like i'm gonna run like 15th today so uh I mean, never, I think that just shows that never count out this team. You know, they, even when we were not good in practice, you give them a night to work on it, they're going to get it better. So they got two nights to work on it this week. And that's why we were so good there in the the race there. So uh, a million bucks, third All-Star win, third different track. It feels feels so good.
6: The Sports All-Star weekend will once again return to North Wilkesboro in 2024. Coming up, Steve Post sits down with Tony Stewart.
1: This is NASCAR live now back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR
6: live. One of the more interesting teams to follow in 2023 was Stuart Haas racing beyond a very up and down year on the track. The team had to make big decisions off of it. The biggest amongst those would be who would replace Kevin Harvick following his retirement. The team settled in on Josh Berry And Steve Post talked with Tony Stewart after that decision was made public.
10: Tony, Josh Berry, the announcement last week that he, he's the new driver. What did you see in Josh? Just describe the decision to bring Josh Berry on
11: board. Well, I think first and foremost his merit. I mean, his his records and, and um, you know, watching his path through motorsports, uh, It it's easy to make decisions of whether he's the right guy. I feel like young guys right now, they're they're young, and it's hard to predict whether they're going to make it or not. Uh, Josh, I, I feel like this was a very logical decision um, I'm going to say, for lack of better terms, a safe decision. I mean, it's you're not sitting there questioning what you're going to get. You know you have somebody that's mentally prepared for a challenge like this but has earned the opportunity for it at the same time. So, um, you know, I feel like Rodney's uh, belief in in Josh and what we've been able to do the last uh, year of watching him as well uh, in the Xfinity Series has proven to us why he deserves this opportunity.
10: You talk about the challenge, the jump from Xfinity to Cup Series. Can you explain just how
11: big of a jump this is for a young driver? It's... Go to baseball or anything else. I mean, you go to a AAA ball team, they might be great in a AAA, but then you bump them up to the big league, and they make that last step, and they struggle, and that's how hard it is to make that jump into the Cup Series. Um, It's not easy. I mean, you can run well and win races in trucks. You can run well and win races in Xfinity, and it may not work out that way in Cup. You just may not be as good as the guys you're racing with. The talent level in, in the Cup Series at the top is strong right now, and solid so it, when you're looking for guys to get in the seat you're looking for guys that are ready for that challenge that truly understand what it takes to capitalize on these opportunities and, and know how to put the whole race together
10: you've had a huge asset with kevin harvick
11: being part of your program what role did he play in this process to target on josh Berry? Obviously, I mean, everybody involved. I mean, we don't, I don't make a single decision there without the group. I mean, we, we make group decisions. We don't, no, no one person makes a, a big decision at our company. And both Rodney and Kevin and, and Dale Jr., you know, to have that support from those guys and, uh, you know, the belief and the discussions with Rodney and Zipidelli, you know, we felt like this was an easy decision. And, and we, we realistically put all of our eggs in that one basket. I mean, he was the one guy that we wanted that we felt like was above and beyond the rest of them and the right fit. I think the right fit is the most important key to this. You can find talented race car drivers but if you don't put them with the right people and you don't have the right group around them uh, it's not successful and if they don't fit the mindset of the guys you're working with it's not going to be successful so finding that chemistry and the right fit is extremely important and, and that's something that Rodney and Kevin and, and Zippy and I all felt collectively that was the right decision and was the right person to, to fit with that group. So this
10: is kind of maybe a statement more as much but when i look at chase briscoe when i look at ryan priest now when i look at that that's what you're talking about that's what you're referencing that racer mindset
11: yeah we want guys that know what it takes it's uh we want people that you know have had to sit there and work on their own race cars and and have had to struggle to do what they do and and have worked hard uh versus some that have had their way paid for and somebody supported them along the way and it doesn't mean they're not good people it doesn't mean they're not good race car drivers but there's something about a driver that had to dig through the trenches to climb the mountain on their own and not have somebody... You know, grab them by the collar and help pull them up the rest of the way. There's a lot of merit in that in our program and that's what our DNA is built around. The people in that building are people that are racers, that have been around motorsports their entire lives. It's not just people that have college degrees that said, hey, I want to work on a NASCAR team. That that doesn't get you in the door at our building. It's, uh, it's off of merit. It's off of what you've done in the past. It's off of the life experiences and the sport that you've had and, and those combined. You, you put those kind of people together and you see good results.
10: Let's talk a little bit about the present. We're midway through this season the ups, the downs, the goods, the bads, kind of assess where stewart Haas Racing is as you uh, enter the second half of this
11: year? I would love to sit there and act like it's roses all the way around, but it's not. It's We've had our share of struggles. It's, uh, we've had weekends where it's been hard to watch the race and, and hard to watch all four teams and drivers struggle. You know, I remind those guys on their meetings on Tuesday that everybody's intentions are the same. Everybody's pulling the rope the same direction. And I think that's the most important part of it is even though we haven't had the results that we're accustomed to and that we strive for the mentality and the camaraderie at the shop is still the same everybody's pulling the rope the same direction it's not people in their own corners pointing fingers at a different corner and blaming it's everybody sitting there going, how can we all work together to make it better? And, you know, there's the ebbs and flows of motorsports. I mean, everybody's had trouble. You look at Penske not even getting cars in a field one year at the Indy 500, and he's probably arguably the best Indy car owner in the history of Indy car racing. It's proof that there's ebbs and flows, and you have to be able to adapt. The new car has been a bit of a challenge for us and our group. So, uh like i said i'd love to say it's been a great season and that's what we want to be able to tell everybody when they say hey, you tell us how halfway through the year you feel like your season's been but it's not unfortunately but we're working at it i feel like our, our groups putting the effort the time and the resources into doing everything they can to get these four cars up front
10: your racing career nhra kind of assess how you're doing with your
11: your new driving stint. I've been a little frustrated the last five weeks because I haven't been in a car. Um, But the three previous races to that, I mean, to win at Vegas, to runner-up at Charlotte, and to win at the Regional at Indy, I'm excited about where our program's at. I mean, Rich McPhillips Sr. and Jr. and and the people that they put around us have done an amazing job in a short amount of time of figuring out a new car. I mean, there were things that, that were drastically wrong at the beginning of the year that they found, and it was frustrating it was frustrating at Pomona, it was frustrating at uh, Gainesville at the beginning of the season but once they found a couple key items that were wrong the results have changed drastically and uh, you know the last race that I drove was the Indy Regional and, and the performance of that car there was unreal so uh, it's made it extremely difficult to sit out for five weeks waiting on the next uh, race that we have scheduled which is uh, you know, this past weekend so to get back in the car is was something that that was fun
10: i am sure it was the street race at chicago that's coming up this week on nascar
11: your assessment what are we, what are we going to see in chicago I'm glad I'm not driving a race car there. I, I think it's a great opportunity for our sport. It's a great market, obviously, and a great opportunity to, to, to try a street circuit with NASCAR racing. Street races always have their challenges, as, a, as we've seen in IndyCar, but it can be done, and IndyCar's done a great job of showing that street races are successful. So uh, I'm excited that NASCAR is taken the leap to, to branch out and do this, but I'm also glad I'm not in the seat this weekend. I, I'm glad I get to watch it.
6: Thank you, Posty. Coming up, Tim Cattlefamo guides us through the history of road course ringers in NASCAR.
3: This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance
9: for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We
6: continue on this week's NASCAR Live. As we've discussed in this show, 2023 in NASCAR featured numerous blasts from the past. One of those was the resurgence of road course ringers. Names like Jensen Button and Jordan Taylor took to the track last year, and Shane Van Gisbergen even won the Chicago Street Course race. In honor of that, Tim Catalfemo looked back at the history of ringers in NASCAR.
9: 2023 has been a year of rebirth for the road course ringer. Ringer is the term that has been affectionately used to describe the drivers who come into NASCAR from different disciplines on weekends when the series turns both left and right. While the term has come back into focus this year, thanks to the next-gen race car and, even more so, Shane Van Gisbergen, the history of ringers in NASCAR stretches back throughout the sport's entire history. The original NASCAR ringer might have been Dan Gurney. The California driver moonlighted in the Cup Series in the 60s while also competing in Formula One. While Gurney only has 16 starts in the series to his name, he won in a staggering five of those, all at Riverside International Raceway. Gurney's ability to just step in and win at the track is likely something the sport will never see again. Three of his five wins there took place in a year where that was the only NASCAR race he competed in. Gurney, however, wasn't the only ringer to have success at Riverside. It's
6: such a tremendous gamble when you put a product like that out against the others and put your name on it hope for victory. Here, American Motors is about to cross the line and prove
9: themselves a performance vehicle in the toughest stock car racing there is, the most competitive automobile racing in the world. Mark Donahue wins the Winston Western 500 at the Riverside International Raceway this afternoon. Donahue has done it. Prior to this year, the win in the 1973 season opener by Mark Donahue was the last win by a ringer in the Cup Series the win came for roger penske in donahue's fifth career start while the sport went many decades without a ringer winning in the cup series the 1990s and 2000s might have been the glory days for nascar ringers with a few drivers in particular making that possible
6: heading home off turn number 11 will be ron fellows he was first in 1998 second in 1999 First last year, and now first yet again, Ron Fellows returns to victory lane at Watkins Glen.
9: The most successful ringer of this time frame is undoubtedly Ron Fellows. From 1997 to 2008, Fellows won six times across the Truck and Xfinity Series, with five of those wins coming at Watkins Glen. The wins led to the Canadian driver getting Cup Series opportunities, most notably scoring a second-place finish in the Cup race at the Glen in 2004. Fellows also became somewhat of a coach for many of the drivers, with Kevin Harvick even crediting Fellows with changing road course racing forever.
8: Ron was always good. He did great on the ovals as well in, in, in the truck series and, and had a short stint of that, but definitely somebody everybody looked up to to, to help kind of changed the course of road course racing and and how you looked at it and, and the things that went with it because when I started the road courses were like oh we got to go to the road courses so let's just find a car we'll find a motor we'll go out there and we'll make some laps and we'll go home now it's you know it's it's very it's very technical and and I think uh, you know a lot of the the things that go with it are many of the things that they pushed then but you just it wasn't as it wasn't as competitive in the early 2000s as it got to be in the mid-2000s. And, and now, you know, it's another level with a lot of guys that are just very very good at, at what they do uh, on,
9: on the road courses. While Fellow's success was hard for anyone to replicate, there was another ringer who truly captured the imagination of the NASCAR fan base.
6: Here they come now through turn number 13 for the final time up the Olympic Basin straightaway. Max Pappas looking high, looking low.
0: Boris Said throws the block under the bridge. Here comes Pappas. They're side by side for the lead. Pappas got to the inside of Said, and he will beat Santa to the chicane. Your new leader off of turn 15 is Max Pappas with the crossover move by Boris Said. It'll be side-by-side all the way to the line. Here they
4: come, a drag race side-by-side to the stripe. By inches, I believe it is Boris said. By inches in a drag race that would rival anything that you'd see in
9: the NHRA. Boris said in his iconic hairstyle and personality might be the most well-known ringer in NASCAR history. Sed burst onto the scene when he won a Truck Series race at Sonoma in 1998 and then competed in various races in both the Cup and Xfinity Series for the next 20 years. The Sed heads were truly able to rejoice when Boris got that elusive Xfinity Series win at Montreal in 2010. While those drivers along with Scott Pruitt really paved the way, a win by a relatively unknown driver at the Mid-Ohio sports car course might have truly spurred the future of road course ringers.
6: Here they come for the final time to the carousel, and turn 13, Justin Marks driving for Chip Ganassi Racing, looking for his first win ever in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Through the carousel he comes, now downhill into the left-hander, turn 13, checkered flag in the air, and the Mid-Ohio Challenge belongs to Justin Marks.
9: The win for Justin Marks in the summer of 2016 for Chip Ganassi was viewed by some as something that could be the kickstart to a successful full-time driving venture in NASCAR. Little did we know at the time that Mark's future was in team ownership rather than driving. Mark started Trackhouse racing in 2021, but really changed things in the sport when he began Project 91 a year later. The program, which fields a third part-time car for the team, was aimed at bringing international drivers to NASCAR. Things got going one year ago with F1 world champion Kimi Raikkonen driving the car at Watkins Glen. Raikkonen then returned at Circuit of the Americas earlier this season, but the crowning moment for the team and the Ringers in NASCAR really occurred on the Chicago street course.
0: Up the hill, headed for turn number 12. He'll stand on the brakes, downshift. Here's the car, sets it cleanly, checkered flag in the air. In his first ever NASCAR Cup Series start, Shane Van Gisbergen, the New Zealand driver, wins on the streets of Chicago.
9: Shane Van Gisbergen winning the race really took the sport by storm. The multiple time Australian supercars champion won in Chicago in his very first Cup Series start. The win might have been made possible by the new next-gen car's similarity to the supercars SVG normally drives. Van Gisbergen backed up the win with a top-ten finish at the Indianapolis Road Course last weekend and is now looking to make the move to NASCAR full-time. While Shane Van Gisbergen might be the one who spurs the next great generation of Road Course ringers, the New Zealander remembers watching said and other ringers of the past.
8: I uh, knew Boris a bit from the supercar stuff and through Paul Morris, so Boris was great for some advice too about how to come in and, and what to expect about from those guys, but I think nowadays with the way the new Gen 7 car is, it's much, not easier, but it's more of an equal footing for a ringer to come in and being good equipment and, and go out and have a good result.
9: If this past weekend and 2023 as a whole is any evidence of what's ahead on the horizon, the term ringer is going to be used a lot more in the future. And while names like Van Gisbergen, Raikkonen, and Button might be the ones to focus on now, the history of road course aces in NASCAR can't be told without first honoring the likes of Gurney, Fellows, and said.
6: Thank you, Tim. Coming up, we'll flashback to Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s first win at the Daytona
1: International Speedway. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley.
6: Checkered flag about to fly here on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we go, while Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s win in the Daytona 500 was viewed by an upset by many, it didn't come as too much of a surprise to those who followed Stenhouse's prowess at superspeedways. In fact, Ricky's first win at Daytona came back in the 2017 Coke Zero 400. Unadilla, Georgia for
4: David Reagan. Welcome North Carolina for Ty Dillon. Everybody now on their feet here at Daytona, anticipating the green flag and the run to the checkered flag. On the inside, it's Reagan. On the outside, Ty Dillon. Then comes A.J. Allmendinger,
3: Ricky Stenhouse, Paul Menard is there as well. They're racing back to turn number one. They are side-by-side side into turn number one. Nobody able to get the advantage. Now, David Reagan out by half a car length with drafting help from Stenhouse and drafting help from Michael McDowell. Reagan to the lead. The battle is for second. Here comes Stenhouse to the inside.
6: They are side-by-side side for the number two position. David Reagan leads as they cross the overtime line. Reagan up front all by himself, but here comes a pack of steamy cars behind him. Here comes Stenhouse to the bottom. A great move by Ricky Stenhouse Jr. to the end
4: inside. inside of the racetrack into the inside of David Reagan. He'll take the top spot away. Michael
3: McDowell up to the second spot off turn four. Here they come off turn number four. This is the Credit One Bank, one to go. Charging across the line. It's Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at the front of the field. Michael McDowell, Ty Dillon, and Paul Menard. McDowell trying to organize a run in the outside lane and he's got one going, but here comes Paul Menard around the outside. Menard going to the outside. Stenhouse puts the block on him. Menard bumps him from behind. It's Stenhouse to the back straightaway with the lead.
6: Stenhouse to the outside. Paul Menard on the back bumper for the final time of the Daytona Super Stretch. Stenhouse blocking every advance. Menard doing the same. Boyer is up to third. McDowell and Newman side by side for
4: fourth. Paul Menard gets a good run into turn number three, but is it enough? Closing to within one car length of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. who leads top turn four. He won a couple of weeks ago at Talladega. Can he do it again tonight at Daytona? Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Across the start-finish line, he sees the checkered flag, and Stenhouse is going back to victory lane. He's the winner tonight. Clint Boyer coming home second. Paul Menard third. Michael McDowell, a career-best fourth-place finish, and Ryan Newman completes the top five tonight again.
6: It belongs to Ricky Stenhouse Jr. What a win it was under the lights for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. that night in Daytona. Folks, that's all we have for you for this week. I'd like to thank Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for joining us. Also, our thanks to Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart for providing us time. Thank you for all the listening you've done to the Motor Racing Network over the years. I'm Mike Bagley. For the rest of the MRN crew, we thank you so much for being a part of the fun here on MRN. And we'll talk to you in 2024. Until then, so long, everybody.
2: NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina and was brought to you by Toyota. For the latest Toyota racing information, visit toyotaracing.com. Today's broadcast was produced by Trey Downing, Pat Jaggers, and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts and descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network.